from the Partnership for Public Service. This is Profiles in Public Service, a podcast that tells the stories of the public servants responsible for our government's most significant achievements. I'm Lauren DeYoung Shulman. And I'm Rachel Klein Kircher. When NASA ended the Space Shuttle Program in 2011, the agency's next frontier was uncertain. But a decade later, in the face of a global pandemic, NASA has a renewed vision for the future. The Artemis program plans to bring astronauts back to the moon and prepare for the future exploration of Mars. SpaceX's first reused Crew Dragon capsule just carried four astronauts to the International Space Station. And the Ingenuity helicopter on Mars recently completed the first powered control flight by an aircraft on another planet. To discuss these achievements and how NASA got to where it is today, we're joined by three of the agency's top leaders. Steve Jerzyk is NASA's Associate Administrator, the agency's highest-ranking civil servant. Jane Data is NASA's Chief Human Capital Officer. She's responsible for building NASA's talent base, improving the agency's HR functions, and helping create a culture that provides NASA employees with a good work experience. Finally, we're joined by Digna Carbayosa, NASA's Director of Learning, Development, and Staffing. Digna previously served as Director of Human Resources at the John F. Kennedy Space Center in Florida. So Steve, we want to start with you. Most Americans had to stay close to home in the last year and really struggled with how to balance the stress of the pandemic, career and family demands. But at the same time, NASA has frankly been thriving and been a real beacon of hope for those of us who've been stuck working in our basements for the last almost year and a half for some folks. And in just the last few months, you've done some amazing things. NASA has landed the Perseverance rover, the Ingenuity helicopter took flight on Mars a few weeks ago, and uh, pretty recently we had the crewed flight on the International Space Station. It's just been an incredibly busy year for you guys. So with thinking about that, though, I want to talk about the future. Out of everything that's upcoming for NASA, what is it that you are most excited about? Yeah, so we have a lot um, upcoming. We, we've had had an incredible 13 months or so uh, since the start of the pandemic. And um, it is a credit to the team that we've been able to accomplish as much as we have uh, during these really challenging times. Um, but we do have some exciting uh, things to accomplish coming up. And just a couple of them I'll mention. First, um, we're going to launch the James Webb Space Telescope. Um, and it's the follow-on to the Hubble Space Telescope. Um, it's the largest astronomical observatory ever launched into space. Um, and it's literally going to look back in time um, to the beginning of the formation of planets soon after the Big Bang. And it's able to do that because it looks in a part of the uh, spectrum um, where it can kind of see through the interstellar dust and see back in way back into time. It's also going to be able to um, get pictures of planets around other stars, or what we call exoplanets, and study the atmospheres of those planets. Um, and so that's something we have not been able to do. And I'm sure it's going to do things that I can't even, and scientists can't even dream of, just like the Hubble Space Telescope. Well, I mean, just starting with the, the looking back in time piece, I think that's that's already pretty remarkable. Yeah. And then the other launch that we have coming up is the first launch of our Artemis um, programs. 
Um, and that's our program to return astronauts um, to the moon and eventually send humans to Mars be the, uh, and land the, the, uh, the first woman and the first person of color on the moon. And, um, and we have our first test flight of the Space Launch System rocket and the Orion Deep Space um, spacecraft um, to end of this year. And it is, uh, uh, it'll be launched at the Kennedy Space Center uh, without crew. It's an uncrewed test flight, go around the moon and come back. And, uh, and we're actually in the, in the middle of manufacturing integration and test of the spacecraft and rocket for the Artemis II mission, which will be a crewed test flight to the moon. And that'll happen in, uh, in 2023. I'm so glad you mentioned Artemis. We'll get to that a bit later in our episode. Rachel? Yeah, thank you. So with all of this amazing work that we're hearing about, Digna, how did you empower employees to continue to make all of these great things happen despite the pandemic? And Jane, with the pandemic, how did you prepare all of the employees for this massive shift to work remotely? So I'll start and I'll share that since the beginning of um, what was emerging with the pandemic, one thing that was clear across the agency was that employees were our number one priority from the administrator down to um, first line supervisors. There was a clear communication that the most important thing was to maintain the health and safety of our workforce and ensure that people um, had the resources they needed to continue to work um, from their basements, like Lauren said, right, referred to, um, and all kinds of other places that people are working from, as well as those that had to come on site to enable launches or other activities that needed to be on site, um, that we followed the right protocols to ensure that people were as safe as possible um, to continue to do their jobs. Thanks, Digna. And I, that's a great start for talking about the last uh, 12, 14 months of experience working at NASA. I will say that uh, we went from a pre-pandemic telework status of about mm, 20 to 25% intermittently teleworking to 90% full-time teleworking in a very short space of time, maybe a couple of weeks a time. And that was a huge shift. So as Digna said, we made it clear from the outset that employee safety was first and we needed to get folks situated in the new way of working um, as a, a first order of force, first order importance to us all. So one of the things that we did was we drew together a leadership team across the agency uh, that was designed to bring all of the different kinds of functional expertise to bear. And Steve uh, led us through that period of time, um, really focusing both on decision-making, astute decision-making, and also a lot of communications. So we had routine communications with all of the organizations at NASA, and that seemed to really uh, allow people to know what was going on and know what they needed to do. We made information available through a public-facing website so that even our um, contractor partners and everyone who needed to see the, the latest and greatest could go there. Um, and I will also say that um, we were very specific and careful about what work uh, we were doing on site that actually had to be done on site. 
and that we built a framework around all of those things so that it would be really clear that the decisions about what we were doing on site versus not um, was clear and data driven and sort of organized in stages. So I really believe that one of the reasons that our agency has been successful in being as productive as we have been over the last 13 months is this tight integration across the agency and a really unified leadership team, a unified voice and a heavy emphasis on communications. So that's at least uh, some of what we did to, to help us along. Yeah, I can hear you in your voice, um, you know, when you started to, to mention the 20 to 25% and, and what a huge lift to go to 90% virtual. So thank you for sharing that. And Jane, I want to pull the thread on your point on leadership a little bit, because uh, I no doubt NASA's mission draws just hundreds, if not thousands, of really talented, inspired people. I have a six-year-old who will be an aspiring NASA employee at some point in time when he gets a little bit bigger. Um, but I want to hear more about why you th the role that you think agency leadership has in promoting a employee engagement and bringing together that, those incredibly talented individuals from dozens of different backgrounds across the country in many different roles. How does leadership play a role in making sure that we are uh, inspiring, engaging, and including them as best possible every day? Well, there's probably not one way in which we do that. Um, I will say that it is very much embedded in our culture that workforce matters and matters deeply. And as part of that, that the engagement of the workforce in the mission and in caring for each other is paramount. And so while you could say COVID was a sort of amped up version of that, we were able to demonstrate our values because we had them and we always practice them. So um, I've talked a lot about the senior leadership and they definitely set the tone uh, for why our mission is important, why it takes all of us to do the mission, um, and uh, also how we need to actually work with each other on a day-to-day -day level um, at the working level to ensure that all the voices are being heard. One population that I haven't talked about uh, as much so far is the first-line supervisors. And it's my belief and the belief of the senior leadership at the agency that a lot of stuff comes to the first-line supervisor and they're on the hot seat to make it all work. And so one of the things that we did to just help them along in this uh, COVID period was to uh, invest in them with virtual sessions where we talk about anything from staying in touch with your team, uh, checking in, how to get help when people needed help, how to reframe getting work done, even how to do things like do performance appraisals remotely. Uh, and I think that that has paid dividends uh, because of the, the sessions, which actually go on and will continue even after the pandemic is in the rear view mirror um, is, you know, the, the fact that we actually have hundreds of supervisors who come to those sessions indicates that they have a great need for information sharing from us, but also across that whole cohort. So first line supervisors are a big deal for making the engagement promise at an agency like ours 
a reality. And it's a hard job, we know, because they're doing technical work of their own. And they're also looking after all of the people who work for them. So there's integration down and around and up. And, and uh, so it's that they're, they're surrounded by the need to be kind of the point for integration. But um, I think that they do this and they're able to do this because leadership has, has made it really clear that our success rests on our ability to pull from all the talents of the agency. And that's just one way in which we do it. That's one of the things the partnership has seen this year is that COVID for, for any type of organization has really required supervisors become to become individually invested in the lives of their team. It, to the degree that they were before, it's 10 times required now because we are intimately aware of what's going on in the circumstances of somebody's life and that literally in the background of their house as, as their kids or family or pets are involved, it's a, become a more sort of um, integrated relationship in a way that was not either was not necessarily taking place in the past or has been enhanced. Um, Rachel, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but also more about the kind of more technical workforce at NASA. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. So Steve, we know that revitalizing the federal scientific workforce is critical. So what could that look like at NASA? And what advice do you have for young people, perhaps a little bit older than Lauren, six-year-old, um, but those who are interested in a career in STEM, but they don't actually know that there's opportunities like this in the federal government? Yeah, so we, uh, with under Jane's leadership and with the leadership team at NASA, are embarking on for the first time a very a very much more comprehensive and integrated workforce strategy for the agency. Um, so we're evolving the way we're uh, conducting acquisitions and our acquisition strategies, um, procurement strategies. Um, technology is evolving. Um, our missions change and evolve over time. And so we're really trying to look out five and 10 years um, at what the missions we need to accomplish and uh, and the talent in the, in the workforce that need, we need to accomplish them. And then say at, uh, for each of our um, centers, um, given that look out into the future, um, how do we need to start now in reshaping our workforce? Um, we, uh, um, you know, uh, people really love what we do at NASA and they love working for NASA. So our attrition rate is is really low like you know two to six percent you know at any any center um so we really have to think long term about um you know if somebody retires do we backfill that per skill or do we need a new and different skill to beat the mission of the future so it takes us we have to do that strategic longer term planning uh, to be able to reshape the skills of the workforce over time and and, I, and it's been Really great working with Jane and her team on the strategy to do that. Um, and then, you know, we, we also look at retraining, too, because we've got really smart people who I many I know have done one, applied their skills at one mission and type of job, you know, for years. And then we ask them, hey, we need you to take your skills and work on a different sort of mission and different. And so um, that retraining is also is also important. And then, you know, that, you know, the uh, STEM science, technology, and engineering, and math can be challenging, right? So I would just say to younger folks, um, you know, stick with it. Um, don't get discouraged, um, and um, you know, ask for help when you need it. 
Um, and don't air, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it because <laughs> you can. I don't care who you are and you know what your what your background is. If um, uh, it, it's hard, um, but uh, if you stick with it and ask and get the help, um, you can be you can be successful. And um, and I get I, the thing I get most frustrated with is when somebody, anybody, a teacher, anybody, you know, tells a, a student. You know, or implies with a student that you're not good in science and math. That just drives me crazy, and uh, and and just it's hard. Stick with it, get help, and you can do it. I, I love that coming from NASA. You know, an agency that achieves such incredible things that you know it's mind blowing for those of us who are not, you know, as technically inclined. So that's that's fantastic to hear that from you. Thank you. And a great transition to my my next question for Digna and Jane um, that we've heard. Uh, both of you and other leaders at NASA talk about how NASA is a people-driven organization rather than a data-driven organization, which I, I can absolutely hear in the principles and the values that all three of you are talking about, but I imagine could be a challenging lesson to impart to uh, new and incoming talent who has spent their education thinking that data and technical skills are just the be-all end-all of what they what they need to master. So how is it, what, first of all, what does it mean to be a people-driven organization, and how do you impart that lesson to your your new talent who may have come up through a different sort of philosophy? I'll start, and I'm sure um, Jane will add um, as well as uh, Steve. But I think um, at NASA, one of the things that um, we value, as you said, is every single individual and what they bring to the job, and very much our core values drive who we are as an organization. As you can imagine, safety in the kind of work that we do is critical to ensure the safety of the people that are working um, in the scientific and engineering and technology areas. Um, integrity is another one of our values, teamwork and excellence. And I wanted to get to inclusion, which we added as a value um, during this last year to ensure that all employees felt like they had a voice and could um, that are included as part of our team. This was a big driver for the agency. And since employees on board with our agency on day one, we share what are our values, uh, what how we expect um, folks to treat each other and how we do work. And um, it cuts across the entire organization, right? We um, begin from onboarding. It is part of what we talk about in our team meetings. Um, it is part of the DNA of um, being at NASA. And I did want to address a little bit um, the question about the six-year-old and how you can become part of our team. Um, we have a great website. It's um, www.intern.nasa.gov. And folks who are from high school all the way to the PhD level can um, see what opportunities we have for internship opportunities with the agency. So highly recommend folks go there who are interested um, during their academic years in um, knowing what we do and being part of our team. There are multiple opportunities um, to join our team through the intern program, as well as um, hiring. We have continued to hire through the pandemic and um, please visit um, usajobs.gov to see the opportunities we have out there. 
Thanks, Digna. That's exactly right. And what I would say in, in terms of the, the comment about being a people-driven uh, versus data-driven, we're really both, obviously, um, because you can't really <laughs> develop and implement our mission set without being able to do both things. But the difference here is that people who are successful at NASA are successful because they know how to interact with, learn from, and uh, collaborate with other people. And what we know is that just that that paying attention to engagement and collaboration is a differentiation on an individual level as well as an organizational level and a mission level. And so, um, so that's why um, it's not really either or, but we're placing a premium on the people side. Um, so I wanted just to clarify that that while data and what you've learned in school is absolutely important to continue uh, honing and refining and getting better at, really the the one of the characteristics that matters uh, equally is our ability to work with others. Um, I also wanted to um, build on uh, what Digna shared about the uh, this interns. Um, we actually have an office of STEM education. Um, the the mission of which is to really uh, contribute to the development of STEM talent across the country uh, and uh, to work with, you know, using grants for different institutions and universities to help the next generation uh, be ready. And the internship program that Digna referred to is actually sponsored by them. And we have hundreds of interns uh, in every season. And so this is something that we're really proud of. And I would say, uh, taking a, a reference to some of the things that Steve talked about around the workforce of the future, one of the things we're trying to do is enable more people to be able to touch the work of NASA directly. So interns is one way we're doing it, trying to look at the mix of permanent uh, workforce versus workforce that come from more project length. Um, the idea here is that we sit in an ecosystem uh, with other players in this space, but also that we feel it's important uh, to be able to have talent come in and out of the agency and experience NASA and um, and that that's, that's also a major contribution to the overall ecosystem in which we sit. I'm so glad you, you said that final piece because it's one of the things that I think is uh, most unknown about agencies like NASA, though NASA is such a wonderful example of it, of how much of your mission is not only um, landing or flying a helicopter on the moon or the next mission to space, but to really advancing this ecosystem of talent in the United States, but also capturing the imagination of those who are inspired by the work that you do. So it's uh, it's far beyond just the technical talent. It is much more um, inclusive of uh, many other parts of activity and learning and advancement and scientific discovery in the US. Yes, indeed. Steve, I had a related question for you about what is a really common misconception that you face about working at NASA? What are some of the things that are mysterious to people or misconceived by folks who have not had the experience that you three have had? Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, you know, I always get the uh, UFO question uh, and the aliens questions. You know, do, do, does life exist on other planets? Um, so that's always that's always a fun, fun, fun questions to uh, to answer. Um you know, the life on other planet question, I always answer by we've we've detected planets around many other stars. And although we've had not 
have not detected life. I, I kind of can't imagine there is a life of, of some form on a, all those planets around other stars out there. Um, you know, the other the other misconception that's interesting is that NASA's budget is a, a much larger percentage of the overall federal budget than it is. So if you ask uh, general public, hey, what, what percentage of federal budget do we spend on NASA and civil space? You'll get, you know, 10 percent, 15 percent, 20 percent. And um, and the. And the answer really is it's less than one half of 1% of the federal budget. That's NASA's budget. Um, and uh, so we, you know, we, we at NASA, like all government agencies, are always trying to be good stewards of the taxpayer dollars. Um, but yeah, for that, for that rel- less than one half of 1% of the budget, we do feel like we deliver a lot of value to, to the, to the country and kind of to the world and, in. uh, scientific discovery, studying the earth, as well as how the solar system and, and universe is formed um, and how the sun interacts with the earth. And of course, our exploration of other planets um, in technology, aeronautics research and improving the performance and safety of, uh, of aircraft and aviation system and making it more environmental friendly in, in technology and technology transfer, uh, developing things and looking for the dual uses of technologies, um, you know, as well as um, the, our, uh, what we talked about, you know, STEM education and uh, a lot, one of the reasons why any country has a civil space agency is for national pride and inspiration. Uh, and, um, and, and we pride ourselves in engaging uh, people throughout the country everybody from our astronauts, right, who are just amazing individuals who are doing incredible things, to our scientists and engineers and uh, inspiring, um, you know, our youth to go into uh, in STEM, STEM fields. So, um, you know, that, that uh, there are many reasons why you have uh, a civil space agency like NASA and, uh, and that, that inspiration piece is actually, part of uh, pieces absolutely part of that judging by the number of times i've watched the any of the video feeds on mars i'd say you've got pretty good bang for about for nasa and it's remarkable that we do that nasa does so many other things as well um but speaking of exploring other planets uh, digna i had a question for you about that's incredibly ambitious goal to return astronauts to the moon through the artemis program and then ultimately to send a manned mission to mars and, you know, I, I'm sure I've read dozens of books and had deep th- sorts of thoughts about what are the kind of people that you would want to have on those sort of missions? How do you choose talent for that? And you that's many of you spend that your professional careers thinking about things like this. So I'd love to hear more about that. What do you think about when hiring talent to achieve these kinds of goals, not just on the manned missions, but in terms of uh, uh, creating an ecosystem around them so that the missions themselves are successful and that we learn from them? what we want. So I'll, I'll start because there's a lot that we think about as we are selecting um, employees to join our agency as well as creating the environment for their success. One of the things that we um, look out for as we are hiring is not just a passion for the work that we do, right? Just um, having people who really are connected to our mission and we 
are very fortunate that the NASA brand is very strong and we really get wonderful candidates applying for our opportunities. But one of the main things I particularly focus on in interviews is um, curiosity, just um, exploring with applicants. Most of the folks that apply to our positions certainly have the credentials to be in that job, right? They um, have completed very rigorous academic programs to even be able to apply for our opportunities. And so one of the things that um, I always look for is curiosity, right? People who are always questioning how things happen and how we do things and just always pushing the envelopes and um, thinking about how do you take risks in a way that help us um, further our knowledge. And so that's just one aspect of um, what the skills that we look for um, when we are building the NASA team. I don't know, Jane, I'm sure Jane will have hers and probably Steve as well his. Um, yes, just to add to what you uh, rightly said, Dick, uh, I um, I think there's this idea of of well agility maybe is the way to call, it, but this of this willingness to um, be flexible about the work that you do. You know, we are an agency that has project work, and so we have say engineers who might work many different projects over the course of a year and certainly a career. And so we're we're looking for people who have some amount of um, agility and willingness to to move and learn new things. I would also observe that you know there's been a lot written about the future of work and how occupations are changing and how um, you know we probably don't even know the jobs that are going to exist in the future um, from where we sit today. We can only guess at um, the kinds of occupations that might be necessary. So to the degree that we can actually move in that future direction with our current workforce by having lots of different kinds of experiences and continued learning and growth, um, that's a really important feature. Uh, now, we also have technical specialists who will specialize in the same type of work for most of their career, and that's okay. But we pay attention a lot to the mix of specialists and then you know the greatest athletes that we can find for you know, being able to to move around um, from different types of work and and continue growing and developing in new ways. So, Steve, I'd love to hear from you on this question as well, but in particular around the decision for the Artemis program um, to have the first woman and first person of color on the moon as well, and how NASA um, and Kate launched that decision. Yeah. So, you know, doing doing these really large. Uh, programs uh, and accomplishing things that no other no other that have never been done before in the history of the human race um, you know takes takes large multidisciplinary teams um, and so uh, uh, you know when I when I look talk to people I'm looking for also for somebody who can be part who can be part of a team it's interesting we were in the, a briefing before the astronaut launch from Kennedy last week to the International Space Station. And one of the astronauts said that, you know, astronauts need to be leaders and good leaders, but they also need to be followers because you need to work as a team. Your crew needs to work as a team together to handle um, operations in space and all phenomenal situations. So 
Uh, so leaders, yes, and fo- and followers and people who can be part of, of a large, large, large and small, small and large teams to get some pretty incredible things done. So th- that's for sure. And then, you know, I've, I've, I'm a true believer that um, a, and I've actually read, read research on this, that a, a diverse team of, of people effectively led uh, will come up with uh, more effective solutions and to problems than, you know, the, the one or two, you know, world recognized experts on a, on a subject. Um, so uh, we, we, our, our values are um, safety, uh, teamwork, integrity, and excellence. And we've added inclusion this past year as a fifth value for the agency. So, you know, teamwork, like I said, is really important, excellence in everything we do. Um, and Digna mentioned safety and, of course, integrity. But this, this, um, this uh, value of inclusion is really important um, to the success of what we do in, in utilizing the diversity of experience, thought, and background of our team um, and effectively leading them to, to do things that have never been done before. So I want to ask you all, after hearing all of the realities and just how thorough you are about creating this amazing culture at NASA, this is more of a fun question for each of you. There are so many depictions of space through Hollywood and other avenues. What would you say for each of you is your favorite movie about space? That's a really great question. You know, we, we have this, we have actually, we have like two camps within NASA. The star, you have the Star Wars camp and the Star Trek camp. <laughs> it's really funny. We have these conversations and just demonstrate how nerdy we are. Um, I, I'm definitely more on the Star Wars uh, camp just because I just like the way they depicted traveling through space better. But, you know, one of my favorite movies is The Martian. Um, I think they did a really great job of, um, you know, capturing the technical aspects fairly well of human exploration of Mars. There are some things in there that were done for dramatic effect that maybe don't really, um, don't really, uh, aren't really uh, accurate physically, um, but it really captured, you know, the, the challenges of, of our, this ultimate goal that we have of human missions to Mars and enabling, um, you know, the human race to push out of the earth moon system. So I do really, I do really, that's one of my favorites for sure. I I love the, um, that that justifies that I really enjoy that movie as well. And I will say the partnership also uh, totally nerds out. We do have our Star Wars versus Star Trek um, brown bag lunches and social hours. So uh, I think we're all in good company. So uh, Jane and Digna, what would you say are your favorite movies about space? For me, it's Hidden Figures. I cry. I think every time I watch that movie, it's just so um, well done and um, really shows a time in our history and how NASA led during that time. And we continue to be in the same place, um, leading through many different um, activities, just not in technology, but also um, how do we approach our culture and our people. So Hidden Figures is it is for me. Yeah, that really, really exemplifies the people side of things that we've been talking about. And Jane, how about you? Well, I wanted to go back to something that Steve mentioned about the Star Wars versus Star Trek. I was not an avid Star Trek fan, 
and by the way, I don't have a favorite movie movie, but um, there were some aspects of what Star Trek um, incorporated in its series um, that really resonated with me. One was the sort of the idea of the peaceful exploration of the galaxy, which I think is so important as everything in space is getting more, um, more busy, more players, more everything. This idea that we are peacefully doing so to the degree possible. And also, I kind of like the idea that we might be beamed up and beamed down, but maybe we're not ready for that yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's been a lot of talk of what you all are doing for the future. So I reserve the right to not be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you all so much. Yeah. Well, Jane, Digna, Steve, it has been such a delight to talk with you today. Really appreciate it. And can't wait to be beamed up at some point in time. Definitely you'll be getting an application from a, a, a little boy in Washington, D.C. in about 12 years. <laughs> Thank you so much. Look forward to seeing that application. Rachel, first let me say that it's almost impossible not to fangirl constantly over NASA and the amazing work that we, they do. Um, but what was most striking to me in talking to the three of them how joyful they are, how happy they are in the work that they're doing and how much passion they bring to the missions that they're doing, no matter what aspect of it they're talking about. Absolutely. You could hear it in their voices talking, whether it was the tech or the people and just the commitment and yet yeah, utter just care. And you could understand why attrition is so low there. The other thing that's so incredible to me is they're doing work that is literally out of this world. They're talking about exploring <laughs> yeah. other planets and you know, exploring the, the, the history of the universe, but they're making such an effort to connect with the American people and see themselves as such stewards of American scientific discovery, even international scientific discovery. I loved how they wanted to create all these connections between we're doing this work on Mars, on the moon, at the far reaches of our solar system, but tie it back to STEM education and outreach to women and underrepresented uh, individuals who are not as, don't have as much access to um, this sort of community. It, it was just really remarkable. And they, they kept reinforcing collaboration. And, and as you said, whether it's on the international stage or just within their organization, it, just these constant themes really speak to how they're so successful. Again, it's the the data, the tech, and the people. It's all of it. I could see that. You know, they have so many people that want to work at NASA. I mean, I'm, I'm not joking at all about my son. Oh, I believed you. <laughs> but you could also see that they have no interest in taking advantage of this access to talent. Like they are, they have not only this enormous pool of incredible people who want to be a part of this community, but they are so purposeful and deliberate about treating them well, making sure that they have good experiences and taking them so purposefully from uh, from role to role and opportunity to opportunity. Yeah, I appreciate it, especially when Steve talked about that. You know, you take somebody with a certain skill set and they could apply it in one project and then a very different project that really, really came through. And I also appreciated how each one of them to a person they talk about what they do as if that's normal and it's what should be done. And I, it's just such a great model. I love it. I thought you were going to say that you're, they talk about going to space as though that's normal. 
um, I will say though, whoever it is in NASA that is like a Star Trek person, they're just wrong. Um, since I've really only followed Star Wars, it's hard for me to weigh in on Star Trek. But I, I love that he brought up that, that how they nerd out on that and they have the two sides of the coin because we definitely have that at the partnership. And absolutely the case, it was, I think it was Digna who brought up Hidden Figures. That movie, I mean, it's amazing for so many reasons, but the way that it brought home how so many individuals uh, have a real impact on sending a man to the moon, sending a man into space that you never see. You know, they're, they're not in the control room. They're not uh, amongst all of the folks who are doing the uh, press events and things like that. They're all behind the scenes and they're so excited to be there. Oh yeah. And what I love about that is, you know, again, back to the high school student or even younger, you could be almost any career and work in government. So all of those people who are helping in some way may not be the actual astronaut, but all the different jobs that you can have and the skills that you could bring. I, I really wish I knew that when I was in high school, I really do. So when they asked me to do this podcast, I was hoping I'd get to talk to people like this about work like this, but I have to say the experience of it, it's just kind of blowing my mind. So that was a fabulous episode. Thanks, Rachel, that was amazing. Thank you so much, Lauren, I really enjoyed it. So that's our show. Thanks so much for listening. Profiles in Public Service was created by the Partnership for Public Service. Our researcher and writer is Emma Jones. Our script supervisor is Barry Goldberg. And our executive producer is Jordan Lapierre. Profiles in Public Service is produced by District Productive. I'm Lauren DeYoung-Shulman. And I'm Rachel Klein-Kircher. See you next time.